everybody. Welcome to Union Church this morning. It's good to see you. Uh, if you're a member here, good to see you. If you are uh, a visitor this morning, it's good to see you, albeit you picked a weird time to visit our church uh, for the first time. So congratulations. Things will be a little bit different uh, this morning. And so as, uh, as we all know, uh, our uh, we live in a really weird season right now uh, as, a, as a world, as a nation, particularly as Californians too. Uh, our government is doing many things that are head-scratching for many people. Uh, and so currently, if you did not hear the most recent news, I believe it was on Friday when I found out. I think it came out a little uh, few days earlier. But as of right now, Governor Newsom has put out an order that all uh, churches are to cease and desist from uh, singing together in a, in a desire to stop the spread of the coronavirus in our gatherings. Uh, the, the thought is when you sing, you are projecting things much further than uh, six feet. And so that could be a possible way that the virus is spread further. And so uh, having gotten this information just a few days ago, uh, Pastor Aaron and myself and some other leaders have been thinking, have been praying, have been talking about the best way to move forward and I, I do hope that we as a church family can at least appreciate the fact that making decisions in times like these are always not it's not always black and white sometimes sometimes it takes some wisdom it takes some thought it takes some discussion it takes seeking the Lord's will even as we've been in first Peter if you remember in first Peter chapter 2 Peter tells believers be subject to the human institutions that God has placed you under Right? The governments of our land are not uh, outside of God's control. In fact, government is given to protect the rights uh, and the livelihood of the people for whom it protects. And so a Christian's posture toward government is uh, one of subjection, one of submission, one of, of respect uh, and following. Christians should truly be a country's best citizens. However, we're also citizens of heaven. Right? And, and sometimes the priorities of our earthly government conflict with the priorities of our king who reigns in heaven. And so right now we have somewhat of a difficult decision uh, trying to figure out what being subject to the government looks like at the same time being subject ultimately and above all to the Lord. And so singing is not just something we do for fun because we just have a jolly time of it on Sunday. Singing is an integral part of our worship together. Right? God commands us that as we gather together, we're to sing hymns and spiritual songs to one another, that we should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly through our singing. And so uh, right now, because we've been given the order so recently, uh, particularly also because we so cherish the opportunity to physically gather together for today, uh, we've decided to forego uh, the singing aspect of our worship as we figure out this next week and the coming weeks as to what a godly, humble, and wise response would be uh, to the government's orders. And so with that, I want to ask you, I want to ask us as a church family to be ready to offer three things to one another and even beyond just our own church family, but to be ready to embrace three virtues that we see the scriptures give us. One is this is a time uh, where we can seek to cultivate the fruit of the spirit of patience. 
right? So I know that as we talk about maybe not singing today, some of us are, are ready to be angry about that. And we, you know, we may be thinking, oh, let's not be cowards. Let's not bow down to uh, the government. We were Christians, we're citizens of heaven. And it could be easy to get frustrated and upset because of the decision. I would ask for patience. But on the other side, there are other people that even knowing that we're gathering together physically right now, even hearing that we're considering singing possibly as an option in the future, there also could be frustration and anger because they don't want a virus to be spread, things like that. This is an opportune time for us to practice patience. Patience with one another as a church family, patience with our government as we're trying, as we're hearing these things that are inconvenient, that are uh, often even just incongruous to the way that God's called us to live. Uh, patience being a fruit of the spirit, that is something I think we can embrace right now. Second though, is I pray that we would all be praying for and seeking wisdom. Right, Jesus says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give unto the Lord what is the Lord's. And it takes wisdom to know exactly what that looks like in the life that we're living right now. And so I pray that we'd have patience, that we'd have wisdom. And lastly though, I pray that we would always have our top priority as a church family, as Union Church. Our top priority must always be worship. Hebrews 12 says, set your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. It's easy right now with all of the things calling for our attention to set our eyes somewhere else, but right now is the absolute most crucial time for us to uncompromisingly set our eyes to Jesus, to let his word fill our minds and fill our hearts, to let his commands be what marks out the path that we walk together. And so as a family, let us embrace patience let us embrace wisdom. Let us embrace worship together. And uh, as we move forward and figure out what it looks like uh, in the coming weeks. Um, and so with this, I'd love to uh, begin our time of worshiping together. Thankfully, we don't only worship God in song, and we can worship God in spirit and truth uh, through praying, through hearing God's word, through fellowshipping with one another. And so with that, uh, if you would actually please stand for the reading of God's word as we begin our time of worship together. And this is from Psalm chapter nine, verse one and two. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exalt in you, O Most High. Let's pray together. Father, we are gathered here this morning to exalt you, to recount your works on our behalf, to set our minds onto you, to fill our hearts with your joy. And Lord, this morning we pray that as we come to worship you, you would meet us here in grace. Lord, we come to you as a thankful people today. We thank you, Lord, for even what we were able to celebrate as a nation uh, yesterday, uh, the 4th of July, to celebrate this precious freedom that you have given to citizens of our country, Lord. That as a country, we can worship you in freedom without fear of intense persecution like many of our brothers and sisters in the past and even currently have to undergo on a daily basis. We thank you, Lord, uh, for... Um, for this nation. And we thank you also 
Lord, for the government that you have given us. And we pray, even as we begin today, for your wisdom for our government leaders and officials, uh, for, the, for the president, for the governors, for the Senate, for the House, for the judiciary. Lord, that you, your, your wisdom would pervade the leadership of our country. That men and women who fear you would rise to places of influence in our country. Lord, and that they would uh, go about leading our country in a way that clears the path for many to come and worship and love you. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, for our church. We pray for our church family. Uh, Lord, right now, there are many things that many people are getting mightily angry about, whether it's wearing masks or not wearing masks, or whether it's the government's doing too much or the government's doing too little. Uh, Lord, even families that are closely knit together are finding easy divisions by talking about the issues of our day. And so, Lord, we pray for your wisdom as we navigate the relationships we have with family members, with neighbors, with friends, with co-workers. We pray that you would help us have our speech seasoned with salt, Lord, that we can continue to be a light in the world. And so, Lord, we come to you a thankful people. We come to you a needy people. But this morning, right now, Lord, as we uh, prepare to hear your word, we come to you a people asking for your grace, asking for your mercy, because we need it. We do not have the answers, but we know that Christ is the answer. And so, Lord, pour your grace and mercy out upon us. This morning we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Peter chapter 5. My name is Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here at Union Church, and this is a really strange season for us as a church. And I know for you, I'm sure, as individuals and as families. And uh, I know we have lots and lots of people who uh, are staying home uh, today and during this time. And uh, I think it's really good for us to consider what Dana exhorted us to and prayed for, um, is uh, to be patient with one another, to be patient as we work through uh, these issues with the coronavirus and uh, restrictions on worship and uh, different sensibilities and views and perspectives um, among people we know and among our own congregation. I think it's uh, very wise and prudent and biblical to practice patience and uh, to seek to be understanding with one another as we work through this together. It's not easy for anyone and it's not good for anyone. I do think there's some diamonds in the rough in this larger season, but overall not being connected is not good for anybody. It's not good for God's people. Uh, it's not good for our spiritual health, welfare, well-being. Uh, it's not good for our relationship with the Lord. And so um, it's difficult and we all um, have experienced that and acknowledged that. And I just uh, pray that we would take that exhortation to heart to be patient as we move forward together. Um, we're gonna be in 1 Peter 5 today. And, um, you know, again, um, we, uh, as, as we are moving through this, this strange season, we come to this topic of eldership and elders and leadership in a local church. And I was thinking on Friday, I got this news, you know, the governor, whoever, you know, has the state has forbidden singing in churches. I'm working on this sermon on eldership. And I'm like, man, we're going to talk about elders on Sunday. You know, that seems a little inappropriate. Maybe we should shift gears and kind of respond to continued restrictions. Um, but you know, it is good when, when, when everything in life uh, when everything 
in culture seems a little unstable. God's word is stable. When, when things seem inconsistent, uh, it's good for us to be consistent with God's word and to move consistently through God's word. And that's why we preach through books of the Bible. That way we can't just choose to talk about or to preach about whatever we feel like preaching about, but we actually have to come to terms with what God's word says. And so I think that that will be good for us. And of course it will be helpful I pray in educational and um, encouraging to us to, to, to learn about uh, eldership and what an elder is and what God calls elders to do and what their role looks like. I think that's really fundamental information for all of us as church members and Christians to know and understand. I'm going to read our text for us and then we will jump in and get to work. First Peter chapter 5 verse 1. Peter says this, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When I was a young boy, maybe 10 years old, um, I had met a new friend and he was about my age and he had a younger brother who was maybe six or seven or eight, somewhere around there, probably seven or eight. And I remember meeting this younger brother and he was a sweet kid as well, but I, I, I soon realized something was different about him. And it turned out that he was, I don't know, second or third grade age and he hadn't learned to read and he hadn't learned to write and he hadn't really been socialized very well. And despite all that, he was a very very kind and sweet kid, but there was just something different. And, and the more I got to know him, the more I realized there's something majorly different. This boy was neglected. He wasn't trained properly. He wasn't taught properly. He wasn't cared for properly. And even as a young boy myself, I knew something was dramatically wrong with that situation. His parents did not do what they ought to have done in terms of raising and caring and growing and feeding and leading their son. And as we come to scripture and we examine what the church is and what an elder is and what leadership in the church is, we realize that it's very similar spiritually with Christians. That if we're Christians in a church with leadership that doesn't really feed us the right things or that neglects the care of God's people, that neglects to pour into them and to care for them and to speak truth to them and to exhort them and to have encouraging conversations and hard conversations to do the things that spiritually grow and nourish God's people. If those things don't happen, then God's people will grow spiritually in a way that's malnourished and they'll be deficient and they won't know how to read and write spiritually speaking. And they might have great intentions and be sweet people, but there'll be something seriously wrong spiritually. Our growth will be stunted and we will be underdeveloped. Now we might not always feel neglected because a kid when they're eating candy every meal, they might not feel neglected. They might really like it actually. 
but it's neglect nonetheless. And it's malnourishing nonetheless. And our growth will get stunted nonetheless. And it's the same thing if a child flees from home thinking I can do this on my own. I don't need community. I don't need authority. I don't need leadership. I know the Bible just fine. I don't need care or help. If you want to encourage me, that's great. Everything else I can handle on my own. Well, if you're eight years old and you tried, I remember I did that one time I tried to, I drew up a map to the airport and I was about eight or nine. I brought it to my parents and I said, is this the right way to the airport? Cause I'm running away. I'm going to go to the airport and I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to Europe or something. <laughs> I wanted to run. I was playing around, but I was serious. It was nothing bad going on. I just thought it would be fun to run away and hop on a plane. And they said, yeah, you go up the five and you know, you get off at uh, MacArthur so that was what I wanted to do. If you did that at eight or nine years old, well, you might think that you were mature enough, but you wouldn't be and you'd grow up malnourished and you would be stunted. Your growth would be stunted and you would not know how to function properly as an adult. It's the same thing spiritually. So as we get into this issue of church leadership and eldership, we need to consider it in that lens. It's not an exact one for one, but bottom line is the church is a family and God has appointed as 1 Corinthians 12 says, we'll turn there in a few minutes. 1 Corinthians 12 says that God has appointed different body parts to do different things. And some he's appointed to lead and care for and shepherd and feed and grow and nourish God's people, the body of Christ. And we all need that to some degree. Even elders and pastors need to be pastored. It's not like there's some people who just call all the shots and they're exempt from pastoral care. Everybody needs pastoral care. And there are certain people who carry out that function. God's called them to it. So first we're going to examine together what is an elder because we read this text and maybe many of you are familiar with what this word elder means, what an elder is, what an elder does. Maybe many of you are not. And so we want to talk about that first. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter now is speaking to the elders. He's told the church, you're going to go through a difficult time. You're going to continue to suffer. Don't be surprised when these fiery trials come upon you but rejoice in as much as you share in the sufferings of Christ. Okay, and so he's talking about the church as a family, move through suffering as a family, trust God, your father, as his kids. And now as he continues this theme of functioning and persevering in, in suffering as a church, he now moves to the leadership in the church. He says, you elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So what is an elder? Let's start there. What is an elder and what is eldership? Now, this is not going to be an exhaustive sermon on elders. So I just want to tell you that up front. There might be things you're like, well, you left this out. You left this out. We're just going through this text. We are going to grab some things from other portions of scripture to give you somewhat of a comprehensive picture of what an elder is and what an elder does, but it will not be exhaustive. And so you need to know that. We'll get into these issues more later on in the future. We'll cover them in depth. They're really important topics. We're going to do a 30,000 foot flyover this morning. I hope that that is helpful to some degree. What is an elder? It's a simple definition you can store, stow away in your mind. An elder is a man called by God to lead and shepherd God's people, the church, in a local church. Okay, an elder or a pastor, we can use the term pastoring as a verb sometimes. Somebody is like pastoral to me. We can use that term loosely sometimes. But 
you don't have a pastor outside of your local church. Sometimes we say, well, that person is, that person's my pastor. So-and-so is my pastor. Well, that's not a biblical way of understanding that term or that role. And we can say that person is, has a pastoral voice in my life, maybe. Someone outside the church like cares for me, checks in on me, has a voice in my life that I love and respect. And that's good, but that person's not your pastor. A pastor is a specific role. It's not just this loose title that means anybody that cares for you. Pastor is somebody in a local church who shepherds people in that church. So an elder is a man called by God to lead, shepherd, care for God's people, the local church, who meets the qualifications listed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We'll get into those in a bit. Now, we also need to be clear on this. You'll read terms in your New Testament like elder, pastor, bishop, overseer. Those are all synonymous. They all refer to the same role. They all refer to the same office. The New Testament is also clear that churches are to have a plurality of elders. A plurality of elders. That means multiple elders in each local church. Now, they don't all do the same exact things. They don't all have the same exact strengths. An eldership is not just some committee that gets together and they all argue about what the right decision is. Sometimes good, healthy controversy and working through issues on decisions is good, but it's not like, oh, we have to make every decision has to go through the, you know, 15 people. And we have to argue about it till we, someone gives up and we come to a decision. That's just bureaucratic committee. That's not eldership. They don't all do the exact same things, though decision-making on some things will happen together, but they have different specific tasks based on their strengths. So they don't all do the exact same things. That would make no sense. What, what they all have in common though is authority in the church. And they all lead the church together, generally speaking. They lead the church together. So there's a plurality of elders, pastors, bishop, overseer. In addition, you, you'll notice that I said in our definition that elders are Men, a man called by God to lead and shepherd God's people who meets biblical qualifications. Okay, elders are men. It is the one leadership role in the New Testament church that is reserved for men. Now, we need to be clear about this. This does not mean that women cannot or should not lead in a local church. They absolutely should. And there's lots of examples of that in scripture. This also doesn't mean that women are not as capable or competent to lead as men. It has nothing to do with that. I know some women that are more capable and competent leaders than any man I know. But there is a specific role of eldership. There's a specific calling and biblical mandate that this office is for Men, okay, it's not better or worse. It's similar to marriage. The, the church is to follow the elders and, and in a similar way in marriage, the wife follows the husband. The husband leads and the wife follows and helps. That's not better or worse. It's just different. It's just different. So we need to be clear on that. Women have a high calling and a, valued and treasured place in the church, but eldership in particular is reserved for men. 
Okay, let me just say it as crystal clear as I can. I know this can be controversial, but this is what the Bible teaches and there's no way around it. Not that I want there to be a way around it, but just to educate you in case you maybe haven't studied this. There is no New Testament case for women pastors or women elders. There is none. There is no way we can take scripture and make an, a, a sound exegetical argument for women pastors. It does not exist. That, that doesn't mean that everyone who says I'm a woman pastor is evil. That's not what I'm saying. I've met pastors, women who say they're pastors, and some of them can be very kind, intelligent, godly women, but they're not actually pastors. They're not actually pastors. The New Testament role of pastor is reserved for men, and the Bible makes that exceedingly clear. In addition, elders are appointed. Elders are ought to be at some point in a plurality. Elders are men. Elders are called. Elders are appointed. Elders are appointed. Now, there's usually not, when a church, sometimes when we think of churches, we just think of a church. Like, there it is. There's a church. You know, we think of a church that we've been to, or we think of our own church, or, or whatever. And if you haven't been part of a church plant, sometimes we just think a church has just always been this full, you know, lush type of uh, just thriving, large body of people. But in reality, every church begins somewhere. Every church begins somewhere. Now, sometimes churches split or send off a lot of people. Most of the time, churches start more humbly. And so what happens is just like in any living organism, there's different life stages in a church, just like there is in any living thing. You're born, you're in diapers, you start eating solid food, you start walking, you start growing, you start talking. Okay, and churches grow like that. And over time, elders are trained, identified, confirmed, and then appointed Okay, that's how elders are raised up. They don't just walk into a church one day and say, you know, I had this calling on my life and boom, I'm an elder. That's not how it works. They're trained, called, or their calling is affirmed, identified, their giftings and competencies and capabilities are identified and then they're appointed. And this happens over time. A uh, couple examples of this for you. In Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas, I think they're in uh, Lystra at this point and they're, running around preaching and teaching and planting churches and training and encouraging pastors and helping churches grow. And this is what Luke records in Acts 14, 23, when they had appointed elders for them, the people in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, Paul and Barnabas are running around to these churches that don't have pastors or just have one pastor. They don't have a plurality of elders yet. And they're helping appoint godly, competent, qualified men. Titus 1.5, Paul says the same thing to Titus. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So elders are appointed. They are appointed. And this process is done over time and very patiently. Okay, that's, what, that's where we're headed as a church. We planted and we still have a, a group of godly men, qualified, intelligent, experienced men who have helped us plant our church. And what we're looking for over time is to appoint elders as we grow and mature and developed and as men are identified and as men are, their calling is affirmed. And this happens patiently over time. 
And the congregation, you are actually involved in that process to some degree. I have a quote for you on this. I thought summed it up that would be healthy or that would be helpful as what happens in a healthy church. Every local church, this author said, following the leadership of their pastor should look out for men who are already doing the work of an elder. Okay, so in other words, it's your job to affirm, to identify and affirm and encourage these are the men who I'm seeing that are already doing the work of an elder. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.22, don't lay hands on any man quickly. This process happens over time. And what you want to see are the qualities and characteristics and tasks of an elder already being done. That's what you're looking for. And so you are involved in that process. I want to give you, to make this just, just really clear and to help us kind of have some categories in mind to sort this out as we think through what an elder is and what healthy church leadership is and what that looks like. I want to give you three buckets, three categories to organize your thoughts. An elder must be called, an elder must be competent, and an elder must be qualified. Called, competent, and qualified. Called, competent, and qualified. And all three of those things must be there. The first is called. Ephesians 4.11. Paul says this, And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay, Jesus gave, and he lists all these roles, apostles, of which Paul was an apostle, prophets, those who speak God's word, preach God's word, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Okay, Jesus gives these people to the church. So elders, shepherds, pastors, teachers, overseers, those who preach and teach God's word and shepherd God's people, Jesus gives those people to his church as a gift. So elders are a gift to the church. And those men that God gifts to the church, he calls them as individuals to fulfill a certain role and ministry calling and leadership position in his church. <clears throat> okay, so eldership, being a pastor, in other words, is not just another job. It's a specific calling. Peter says this in verse 2 of chapter 5. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not under compulsion. In other words, people, you know, elders are not appointed out of desperation. Hey, I really think you're qualified to do this, so you should do it. I don't know if I want to do it. No, 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 no. Trust me. Here's why you should do it. It's not how it works. Okay, in addition, it's not some stepping stone or some opportunity in terms of job. Well, here I think this would be good for my career. Here's where I'm headed. And so I think I'll start at this church and I'll just apply there and that'll be kind of my job. You know, I'll just do that and then I'll see what happens after that. Okay, it's, a, it's an actual calling. Now, sometimes that calling can be worked out in very practical ways, but it's not just another job, not under compulsion, but willingly. God puts a calling on a person's life for this specific role. Now, we are all called to ministry to some degree. I hope you know that. We are all called to ministry to some degree. We are all called to build the body of Christ. All right, we are all called to help one another grow in Christ. We are all called to give of our time and talent and energy to building God's kingdom. There's nothing more important in life. But 
The role of elder is a specific particular calling. Okay, it's not better, it's just different. 1 Corinthians 12, 17 through 20. Paul says this, which sums up this idea of not better, but different very well. If the body, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Many parts. You might say, well, I don't like being a toe. I don't like feet. I'd rather be an eye. Why can't I be an eye? An eye is better. You know what? It's not. It's not better. It is different. It's not better. You know what happens if you don't have your toe? You can't hardly balance. You lose like 40% of your ability to balance if, you miss, if you're missing one big toe. So we need big toes. And we need pinky fingers. You lose a lot of your grip strength if you don't have a pinky finger. That's a bummer. No, we need every element and every part of the body. There's none that are better or worse. They are just different. So God gives a man a call to eldership. And then that begins in a man's heart with desire. That's where it starts. It doesn't end there. And there's more than just desire. Can't just say, well, I desire to, you know, be in leadership. So that means I'm qualified. No, it doesn't. But it, that's where it begins. That's where it begins. So God, well, it begins with God's call, but in terms of our perception of God's call, it begins with desire. That desire then is worked out in the context of the local church and it is affirmed and cultivated in the context of a local church. That is the local church. The local church makes pastors. The local church makes pastors. Nobody else makes pastors. No other institution or organization makes pastors. The local church makes and trains pastors and calls and affirms pastors. That is how a calling is confirmed. Okay, but it starts with calling. Number two, there's competence. Competence. The man must be able to do the job. The man must be able to do the job. You might have the best motives in the world and the, you might be the sweetest guy in the world, but if you don't have the skill set, it's not going to fit. It's not going to fit. It's just, you're misreading the call. You're misreading the call. There's a competency aspect that is critical. There's a lot of different skill sets in the world. There's a lot of very talented and skilled people that are skilled at other things and and, and do not have the right skill set for eldership. It's a specific skill set. It's actually a very wide ranging skill set. Being an elder is a difficult job. It is demanding work and it's not limited to one arena. It bleeds over into all kinds of different arenas. We must work, the man who's called to be an elder must work with his mind, with people a lot. It's emotional work. It's leadership work. You have to be a competent leader in order to be an effective elder. It's administrative, organizational work, very conscientious, very conscientious. If you begin cutting corners and doing things haphazardly and kind of just throwing something together and not planning and not organizing and not thinking and not being detailed oriented and thinking, well, you know, it seems a little overboard. Do we really need to be that detailed? Oftentimes, yes, yes. And the man that is called to eldership will generally have that type of competency An elder must have thick skin. 
An elder must make unusual sacrifices and particularly the, the, the man, but also their family. The, see, when a man receives a call as an elder, their family is also called. And if their family's like, you know what? I'm, I'm not on board with this. And then the guy kind of forces his family to be on board with it. Well, that's, that's not, that, that shouldn't fly. A, a man's family is also called. And that man's family, the elder's family, often have to make, has to make unusual sacrifices that most other people don't have to make. And that's part of the calling. Leadership development and training, pouring into those who are younger, caring for people of all ages. Elders must have a high pain tolerance. They must have a significant amount of toughness. The job is basically inseparable from personal life. It's a challenging calling. It is not just showing up, teaching the Bible for a few minutes and leaving. That is not the job. That's part of the job, not showing up and leaving. Teaching the Bible is a major part of the job. But it's not just showing up, getting to study, teach the Bible and, and taking off. That's not what the job is. So there's competency. There's calling, there's competency. Number three, qualification. An elder must be qualified. An elder must be qualified. And for that, I just want to look real quick at 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you'd like, you can turn there. If not, all of these will be in your notes um, online, attached to the sermon this afternoon. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul says this to Timothy, the saying is trustworthy and this saying is trust, trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Okay, so that's where it starts, calling. If anyone aspires to this calling, he desires a noble task. It's a good desire. It's a good desire, and that's where the calling begins in terms of our perception of it. Verse two, therefore, an overseer, an elder, again, elder, bishop, okay, all the same, pastor, all the same, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Peter will say, well, he says in verse 3 of chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, 3, verse, uh, end of verse 2 rather, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not for shameful gain. This would first be most obviously, financial gain. It doesn't mean that pastors shouldn't get paid. There's, that's not what it's talking about. It doesn't mean that we should have a poverty theology. What it does mean is that pastors and leaders that are greedy and that are lovers of money and that are not generous and that are not hospitable and that are just seeking to build their own kingdom and earn as much money as they can are gonna be damned in God's sight. There's a lot of really harsh and hard language that scripture uses from God condemning false teachers who are seeking to rob people and not seeking to feed them. It's a very serious thing. And they will actually receive the harshest judgment. False teachers, particularly ones who are out to fleece God's people and not feed them. So an elder can't be a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Because if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how in the world would he care for God's church? I mean, that's a great question that someone should ask. That's a great question. Because if your house is a mess, I don't just mean toys on the ground. I mean, your family is a mess. Why in the world would anyone think that you can lead a church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well 
thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, a snare of the devil. Now listen to that verse, verse seven. I have always been, I thought, I've thought that that verse was, I was in a quandary with this verse for a lot of years because the thing about the guy who wrote this, was the apostle Paul thought of well by outsiders? The guy that was arrested a bunch of times, who was beaten a lot of times, who was stoned probably to death, close to, very close to death, who was ultimately executed, who was on trial many times, just in the book of Acts alone. I mean, you're like, Paul, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean well thought of by outsiders? Everyone hates you. <laughs> Here's what I think he's, he's saying. And this is what most commentators, as far as I can tell, think. What he means there is not hypocritical, consistent, not saying one thing and doing another thing, not acting holy, but really living a double life. That even your enemies will at least look at your life and character and say, at least they're consistent. I might want to arrest that person still, or I might not like what that person's doing, or some Roman governor might still want to kill Paul, but at least he knows he's the real deal. He actually believes what he's saying and he actually lives it and he actually leads others in it. So all of these things, 1 Timothy 3, almost all of them are character issues. Character issues, character is super important. Titus 1, same thing, largely character issues. And so that's the qualification. Again, these things are worked out, observed and, and grown in over time in the context of a local church. And we're not talking, did I go out? If I went out, just bring me that swing mic. And we're not talking perfect. What we are talking is qualified and holy and meeting these expectations. What happened there? Just got out, okay. Sorry, everyone. Again, having some technical difficulties. This is what happens when you do church outside, but I think we'll be able to hang in there. Just turn this up super loud if you can. Thanks, man. So that is what an elder is. I hope that clears some of that in terms of definition. Briefly, we're going to look at the role of elders, the role of elders. Again, this is not going to be an exhaustive examination of the role of elders, but we are going to get a 30,000 foot flyover. Again, verses 1 through 3 of 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Okay, so what's the role of an elder in 1 Peter 5? Shepherd God's people, exercising oversight. Okay, I'm going to give you a few categories to think through on this. This is taking care of the body. This is taking care of the body. Instructing God's people, strengthening the weak, guarding the vulnerable, rebuking the obstinate, exhorting the stubborn and apathetic, comforting the hurting, bearing with the difficult. This is preaching and teaching God's word, not just informationally. Okay, we don't sit here and give lectures, although it is information and it is education. It's not just for information. I have a, I created a sermon feedback form that I give to people who give me sermon feedback and it's very helpful. And one of the questions on there is, did this get us to God? Not just inform, 
not as some sort of weird mediator, but did, did it actually point us to God? Did we, do, we, do we love Jesus more now? Do we know of God more because of what we've heard from God's word? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Okay, this is done in private and in public and in private. Paul says in Acts 20, 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. So elders are to feed God's people with God's word to help them know, love, and follow Jesus faithfully and fully. We tracking with that? I know we got sound issues. I know your kids are doing great. I know we got a lot of stuff going on. I hope you're able to track. We're going to wrap up soon. I do want to make sure you hear what I'm saying on this. This is the role of elders to feed God's people and to care for God's people in public and in private. So let me just say, if you get a call from me or from another leader in a church, in our, in our church, if you get a call saying, hey, where have you been? How are things going? How's your soul doing? I haven't seen you at church, or maybe I have, but we haven't connected, and I want to see how things are going. Maybe you love that. Maybe you think that's a little weird, but I want to just make that really clear for you. That Should I, should I, is that going to happen again or? Okay. So should I just leave this over here? Well, if I leave it here, will it happen again? Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Everyone back on track. I turned it off. I turned it off. So it's yeah, thank you. Okay. A couple more, couple more points here. A couple more points here and then we'll wrap up. This includes in addition caring for God's people, training, raising up leaders. Well, I'll spare you on that, won't get into that, but this is a pattern in all the New Testament from Jesus to Paul to Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, and take what I've taught you and entrust these things to faithful men. Okay, so training and raising up leaders, protecting the church from wolves. Because there's a lot of people who subtly sneak into churches and try to twist God's word subtly and elders must be aware of how that happens and must prevent it and must shepherd their people away from it. There's a lot of wolves looking to eat fat sheep because they look very tasty and delicious and elders need to take a shotgun and shoot those wolves sometimes. That's just how, that's just how it goes. Leading and vision. Here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. Here's where who we are becoming, here are our goals, here's how we need to grow as a church, here's how we need to grow in our character, in mission, financially, all of those things. Ultimately, church, here's what I want you to hear, elders are to shepherd like Jesus. Okay, so that's our, that's your standard in looking at, here's what a, an elder is, and that's our standard as elders seeking to be faithful. We seek to shepherd like Jesus. 
Jesus lovingly and sacrificially led and cared for his people. Jesus was bold and truthful as he preached and taught. Jesus courageously stood up to false teachers and false shepherds. Jesus was compassionate with the weak and needy. Jesus firmly but lovingly corrected, rebuked, and exhorted his friends and disciples. Jesus was patient with hard-hearted and obstinate people. Jesus was tough and tender. He was compassionate and bold. He was full of grace and full of truth. This is what Peter means when he says, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. In the end, Jesus Christ gave his very life for his people. That's not dishonest gain. That's willingly. Jesus gave his life willingly. Peter says, don't lead out of for dishonest gain, but willingly as God would have you. Jesus did not lead or sacrifice for dishonest gain, but he sacrificed for us. And that's how elders ought to lead, taking responsibility for the people that God's entrusted to them. Sometimes we think of dishonest gain and we might think, yeah, yeah, you don't want to be greedy. That's certainly true. There's other forms of dishonest gain. Like, I want to be in leadership because I think that would be cool. I just want to teach the Bible. I would like to be an authority. I would like to be a leader. That sounds prestigious. I like that position. I like, I think I like what people will say about it. You know, I'm thinking about being a pastor. Oh, good for you, sweetheart. That's good. That's good. I just want that. I just want that acclaim. Well, hey, the honor part is good, but man, if that's what you're in the game for, Peter says, don't be an elder or grow up first. Not for dishonest gain. Just like Jesus did not lead and sacrifice for dishonest gain, but for our gain. Jesus literally came to earth as the great shepherd and gave himself for his sheep at the expense of his sheep to rescue his sheep. That's the gospel. That's how we're saved. We look to the great shepherd and are saved by his work, not by our own. By looking to him for leadership and for help and for salvation and justification being made right before God. And there, there is no Christian on, on the planet who can look to a pastor for any of that. But pastors are to lead like Jesus, pointing people to the great shepherd as Jesus under shepherd. So lastly, how does the congregation relate to elders? Maybe thinking this, this is all good, this is helpful, but what about me? Like, what does it look like for me? Maybe I don't have any aspiration to be an elder. I'm just a church member, not just a church member, but just different. I'm just, I'm not an elder. So what does this look like for, for us? Verse five, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, this is not an exhaustive treatment of how elders in the congregation relate to one another, how the congregation relates to elders. But here, here's, let me just say it this way. Here's what Peter's saying. I think humbly follow your leaders. That's what Peter's saying. You might say, well, look, he just says to the young guys, so I'm off the hook. <laughs> like I'm over 35, maybe 30, so I'm good. I'm not included in that. 
Well, here's a quote from Wayne Grudem, his commentary on Peter. I thought this was helpful. The question remains why Peter spoke only to those who are younger and not to the whole church in commanding submission to elders. It is probably because the younger people were slash are generally those who would most need a reminder to be submissive to authority within the church. Now listen, if those who are likely to be most stubborn, and even at times, if those who are likely to be the most rebellious against church leaders, if they're commanded to be subject to the elders, then it follows that certainly everyone else must be subject to the elders as well. Now listen, Peter has instructed us this whole book on submission to authority in many different areas. You go back and listen to these sermons if you missed them. Chapter 2, verse 13, he tells us to submit to every human institution, including the government. We know that's hard right now. That's hard. Man, it's hard. It's hard to feel like you're dying a death by a thousand cuts. It's like, well, you can meet, but you know, you can't meet more than 100 people. You can't sing. You can't talk. You can't have bulletins. You can't do communion. You can't have food. Okay. That's hard. I think for all of us, when it comes to church life, but also just to submitting to these sorts of regulations in general, it's hard. It's hard. We don't like it. It frustrates us. We're Americans too, right? Rah, rah. We, 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 I mean, we fought a war to get free. So we have that in our blood. Plus we live in the West. And so all we think about is ourselves and our own personal freedoms and rights. So it's really hard for us. You know what? Here's what Peter says. Clothe yourselves in humility. You know, it takes humility to follow leadership. It takes humility to follow leadership. Unless you just find a leader who you agree with every single thing they say, and then really that's not following leadership. That's just you hugging yourself. Sometimes we'll run into situations when we're following leaders where it's like, this is hard. You know, I don't like this, or I disagree, or I would have done it different. Well, Peter says, clothe yourselves in humility. So Peter's dealt with human institutions, the government, servants and masters, employer, employee, husbands and wives, chapter three. And now he finishes with spiritual authority, submit to spiritual authority. This is not my words, this is scripture's words. These are not my words, they're Peter's words, by virtue the words of the Holy Spirit. Submit to spiritual authority. Hebrews 13, 17, as we wrap up, obey your leaders and submit to them. Now listen, you might not like that part, but listen to the rest. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account that's a really scary thing for people who are seeking to be or are currently in the office of elder. So you actually have to stand before the great shepherd and actually give an account to those in our charge. And so Peter says, submit to your leaders. Let them give an account joyfully. Let them do this with joy. Keep watch over you. Let them keep watch over you with joy and not with groaning. Yeah, that's a verse because it's easy to go, oh my gosh, this is hard. This person's hard to lead. And Peter says, let them do this without groaning or that would be of no advantage to you. Here's the simplest way we can say it. Don't be difficult to lead. Don't be difficult to lead. You know what? That's harder than it sounds. But here's the antidote. We clothe ourselves with humility. That's what Peter says. Submit to authority in the government, submit to authority in the workplace, submit to authority in marriage, submit to authority in the church. And here's how he wraps it all up. Clothe yourselves in humility. 
literally wrap humility around you like a garment. That's the only antidote to being a good follower. That's the only way that we're going to be faithful followers to human leaders and to Jesus, the great shepherd, the good shepherd. Clothe yourselves in humility. Here's what we're going to do for a few minutes. What time is it? Is it the time? Okay. For a few, we started a few minutes late for about maybe maybe ten, maybe five or ten minutes. I know it's going to be hard with kids, but here's what I'd really love to do. For a few minutes, I would love for you guys to maybe circle up into groups of five or six or seven, and I'd love to spend a few minutes in prayer in lieu of worship. And I'd love for us to pray for our nation, for our leaders. I'd love for us to pray for wisdom as we move forward, but I'd also love for us to pray specifically for our future pastors and elders. Pray that God would raise up faithful men and women to lead and faithful men that God calls to be elders and lead his church in our context. So I'm gonna ask you to do that just for a couple of minutes. If you got kids chasing around, I totally get that. If you can, circle up in groups of five or six or seven and just go ahead and spend a few minutes praying for those specific things. And then we'll wrap up in just a few minutes. Father God, we do ask that you would hear our prayers. Lord, we know you are the God who listens, who bends his ear to his people. And so because of that, we pray as a church family. We pray as individuals. We pray as uh, individual families, Lord. We pray because we know you hear. And Lord, this morning, what a fitting passage it is to think about eldership within the church, being subject to our leaders in the church, having a heart that is humble and ready uh, to follow, ready to submit in honor of you, Lord, even when leadership doesn't exactly do things that we would prefer, that we would like, or even sometimes agree with. And so, Lord, we ask for wisdom, the wisdom that you uh, call us to have in the passage this morning. We ask for humility. We ask for trust in you. Uh, not only when it comes to church leadership, which was what your scriptures were about specifically today, but again, when it comes to our relationships with the government. And so, Lord, we pray for wisdom, and we thank you that you are a God who says, if we ask for wisdom, we will we will find it, uh, Lord, as we seek. And so we ask, and we pray that you would give. Uh, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. And uh, this week, Lord, help us be patient, help us seek wisdom, and help us worship you above all, above all things, Lord. Remind us that we are citizens of heaven prior to citizens of anywhere else. And so, Lord, to you be the honor and the glory and the power forever. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, friends, let me leave you with a blessing from Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. God bless you all. Thank you for joining us for worship this morning. Have a great week.